okay to walk sign come on before I try to cross that freeway there. Could be dangerous. Well, take your Bible, if you will, and turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 25. And we are going to get back into our uh, movement through the book of Acts. As you know, we have been going through the book of Acts, and we took a little bit of a, a pause, we might say, and we focused on uh, that message uh, that Paul spoke to Felix, the governor of Judea, and uh, righteousness and um, self-control and the judgment to come. And we took that opportunity to talk a little bit about sin and about repentance. And now we're going to move on into the final uh, two to three chapters of the book of Acts. And, and it could be in just a couple of Sundays we will be through with our study through the book of Acts. And I've titled the message this morning, Almost Persuaded, because we're probably going to get, I think we will, I, I didn't go as fast, y'all didn't listen fast enough, last couple of Sundays, and it took us two Sundays to do the one message, but I believe we're going to get to Agrippa, and most of you will remember that famous passage as Paul is explaining his faith, and, and he's talking about the gospel before King Agrippa, and Agrippa makes that uh, the way the, the King James says it, Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And someone wrote a, an invitational hymn many years ago, Almost Persuaded. And I think we're going to see that maybe uh, that whole scenario played out a little differently than perhaps we might think just based on our original, um, our original impression, if you will, of that. Uh, I don't believe, most Bible scholars do not believe that Agrippa was under conviction. Uh, most Bible scholars believe that Agrippa, when he made that statement, he was actually mocking Paul, the fact that Paul was trying to convince him, the king, uh, to become a Christian, but we'll look at that more closely as we get into it. So if we get ready to go into chapter 25 of Acts, and if you'll remember, uh, Paul is, uh, he is in prison basically. He's been rescued from a Jewish mob in Jerusalem who were about to beat him to death when they found him in the temple and the Roman soldiers came and rescued him. You remember he took a moment and he defended himself before the governor of Judea. And that man was a man named Felix and his wife Drusilla. And you remember that's where Paul, the Bible says, reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come. And the Bible does say that Felix trembled. He became afraid and he said, uh, go away and I'll call you back another day. And of course we studied a little bit about Felix and there was plenty of reason for Felix to be afraid. He was a very wicked man. His wife was a very immoral woman and his whole reign over Judea we know from Roman historians was marked by corruption and and uh, all kind of terrible things that went on but we do know that he was removed by Nero and we find in chapter 24 verse 27 it says uh, but after two years Festus succeeded Felix and Felix wanting to do the Jews a favor left Paul Bound. So we don't hear anything else about Felix in the Bible or even in, in secular history. We don't know what happened to him really. We do know, if you'll remember what happened to his wife Drusilla, uh, she moved to Rome and settled in a, just really a little wonderful place uh, called Pompeii. And about A.D. 79, when Mount Vesuvius erupted, uh, she lost her life, according to Roman historians, her and her adult son, in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in A.D. 79. But now we get back to Paul in chapter 25, and we find that Paul 
is before the new governor, Festus. And the Bible says in verse 1, When Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul, and they petitioned him, asking a favor against him that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. So there's another plot. Uh, Festus is a new governor. And again, just to give you a little, little background, we don't know very much about Festus other than what the Bible tells us, other than Josephus who was a famous Jewish historian of that period, he said that Festus, who only ruled for two years, he would die after his second year as governor, but that he was a better governor than his successor or his predecessor, that he was a good governor. We do know that unlike Felix, remember, who was a former slave, Festus was a member of the Roman nobility. And remember, uh, Felix had a Jewish wife. However, Festus did not. So Festus was a Roman noble. He really didn't know anything about Jewish traditions or the Jewish scriptures. So he's coming into this whole, whole controversy blind. And as he gets there, immediately, he's only been there three days. He's the new governor. He's immediately hit with a petition from the Jews in Jerusalem. And they say, hey, you got a guy there named Paul, and we want him in Jerusalem. We want to we try him in Jerusalem. And he says, no, I, I think I'll try him in Caesarea. You send some folks up, and we'll take a look at it as soon as I get to the capital. So that's exactly what happened. They came down, and they began to accuse Paul before the new governor. And the Bible says in verse 7, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood against Paul and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And while he answered for himself, neither against the Jews nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. Now, as Paul is before Festus, this is the fourth time he's defended himself since he's been arrested before someone, if you keep in track. And as he gets before Festus, remember there were three main charges they brought against Paul. One, that he was speaking and doing things contrary to the Jewish people and the laws of the Jewish people. Number two, that he was... He was doing things against the temple. He was blaspheming the temple. He was desecrating the temple, which the Jews uh, look to, of course, and the Bible commands to be a holy place. And the third charge was that he was doing things against Rome. He was, he was speaking against the government of Rome. He was involved in a political movement, trying to overthrow the Roman government. Paul stands up. He says, I've said nothing against the Jewish people. He says, I am a Jew. I love the Jewish people. I have not desecrated the temple. And thirdly, I have done nothing against the laws of Rome. I'm not a politician. I'm not in a political movement. Paul says, I am simply a man who is sharing his faith. So he refuted those three uh, charges. Now notice there in verse number 9. But Festus, remember he's a new governor. He's just getting started. And one of the first... 
uh, petitions that has been given him is about this prisoner, the Jews, which make up a large portion of the area that he is governing, and he certainly wants to keep them happy. Their leaders have requested, we want this man sent to Jerusalem. We want to put him on trial. We want to judge him ourselves. It is we that he has offended, and it's our laws that, that he has insulted, and we want to put him on trial. And so he's still trying to make everybody happy. And in verse 9 he says, Wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Now Paul knew, remember he had already been informed a couple of years ago, back when he was first arrested under Felix, that the Jews had a plot to kill him. And Paul knew that any journey to Jerusalem would most likely be a fatal one. It would not be a trial. It would be like the trial of Jesus that they had. It would be a sham trial. It would be a railroad. It wouldn't be a, 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 it wouldn't be a, a search for justice. It would be a lynching. And Paul would be executed. So Paul, remember, was a Roman citizen. And Paul pulls out his last appeal. As a Roman citizen, Paul had, I hate to use a gambling analogy, but he had an ace in the hole as a Roman citizen. And what Paul did as he is facing possibly being sent to Jerusalem in verse 10, so Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. So Paul makes that fateful decision. His, his last recourse, when he sees he's about to be turned over to the Jews, he says, I, I've not done anything. I'm standing before the, the rule, the law of the land, the Roman law. Before you I should be judged. I appeal to Caesar. And of course, uh, Festus says, okay then, to Caesar you'll go. It was our equivalent of the Supreme Court. If you were a, a citizen of Rome, you had the option to appeal to Caesar. So, the dice cast now. Paul is going to go to Rome. And remember, the Holy Spirit had spoken to Paul several chapters back when Paul was first arrested and he spent the night in that prison after he had been beaten nearly to death by a Jewish mob. The Holy Spirit appeared to him and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. You're going to appear before governors and you're even going to go to Rome. So God had given him assurance that, Paul, that's where you're going to end up. And now the wheels are in motion. And, and the governor Festus has says, you're going to go to Rome. I'm putting you on the docket to be sent to Rome. However, it's not quite time. There, Paul's got one more person he's going to appeal before. And it wasn't even in the cards, if you will. I guess I'm all into gambling uh, analogies. I'll have to watch that. It wasn't even in the cards uh, for Paul. But there in verse 13, the Bible says, After some days King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priest and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. 
To them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. And when the accuser stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for this decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice come in and they bring Paul uh, before him, and now uh, he actually wants Agrippa's help. Paul is going to bring in. Now remember, Festus knows nothing about Jewish customs. He's a Roman noble. However, Agrippa was the king of the Jews. And boy, you talk about the fields being white under harvest, but let's just examine. We talked about Felix and his wife, Drusilla, and, and what a fine picture they were. Uh, of, of the state of the world at that time in terms of their morality or lack thereof and, and their life that they led. And now we turn to an even more sordid pair and that is Agrippa and Bernice. Now the Bible doesn't give much commentary about them but they, all that I'm about to tell you we know from secular history, from Roman history and from Josephus, the famous Jewish historian. Bernice was not Agrippa's wife. Bernice was Agrippa's sister, but she was also Agrippa's lover. They had an incestuous relationship, Agrippa and Bernice, though brother and sister, they were lovers. And, and, and their, quote, romance was the, the rumor of all Rome, ancient Rome. They were both raised in Rome. And his sister Bernice, by the way, let me stop a moment, since he's King Agrippa and his sister, who are they? Well, if you'll remember, remember Herod in Acts chapter 12 who killed James and imprisoned Peter? Well, uh, they are the children, the son and daughter of that Herod. Remember Drusilla who was uh, the wife of Felix that we spoke about a little bit earlier? That was their sister as well. All three of them were brother and sisters. All three, the children of Herod um, who killed James and, and uh, imprisoned Peter in Acts 12. And, and Herod was more of a title than a name, so it gets confusing when you're reading the New Testament. You find Herod everywhere. You think, boy, he sure lived a long time. No, it, it's the title. And I'll just try to throw it out to you real quickly, a little bit of the family tree. This is Herod Agrippa II. He was the last of the Herods in that line. His, his uh, father was Herod, who killed James in uh, Acts chapter 12. His great uncle was Herod Antipas that we find that they sent Jesus before, you know, in the trial. He was the Herod of the Gospels. His great-great-grandfather was Herod the Great who was the ruler when Jesus was born over in the story of the, the Nativity. Now, uh, to give you a little bit more about Bernice, who was his sister but also his lover, she had also been the mistress of the Roman Emperor Vespian 
Then she became the mistress of Vespian's son, Titus, but always she returned back to her first love, her brother. So that is who Paul had the illustrious opportunity to stand before in judgment and to give a description of who he was. That is King Agrippa and Bernice. So, as King Agrippa and Bernice come, then Agrippa says to Paul, verse 26, here's Paul's defense. And let me tell you, this is not so much a defense as an evangelistic message. Paul took this opportunity to share the gospel. Agrippa, remember um, Festus, and we have to keep these names straight. It's very difficult for me. You know, I have trouble with names. I just think about, when I say Festus, I think about gun smoke, don't you? Right. But not the, not the Festus of gun smoke, but the ancient Festus, the first Festus, the, the Roman governor of Festus. Remember, Festus is a Roman noble, and he doesn't know anything much about Jewish customs. Agrippa, on the other hand, is very well versed with Jewish customs. And he knows a lot about the Jews. So that's one of the reasons he wants Agrippa to come. And he says, you know, i got to write a letter to the emperor and explain why I'm sending this Paul to him. And I kind of want to know what I'm talking about. I don't want to, you know, send him something and, 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 and Caesar be upset with me. So I want you to listen to him. And then I want you to kind of help me write a letter and explain who this Paul is and exactly what the situation is. So Paul takes this wonderful opportunity to share his... Uh, defense and also give an evangelistic message. So notice what he says. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. He says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Now, I noticed something about Paul. Remember how he spoke when he spoke before Felix? He didn't give over flattery as the Jewish uh, oratory Tertullian did, who the, the high priest had sent from Jerusalem, but he was respectful. Even to a man like Agrippa, who was an immoral man, he was a corrupt man involved in an incestuous relationship with his own sister, but yet Paul respected the position that the king had. And Paul spoke to King Agrippa in a respectful manner. He understood that he was the king. Paul couldn't do anything about that. And so he respected his authority. He gave him respect and he says, I ask you, king, please hear me out. Take a few moments and listen to me patiently as I share why I stand before you. And, and remember when we looked at Paul's defense before Felix, I shared with you that it was a wonderful picture of how to give your testimony. How that Paul, first of all, talked about his life before he came to Christ. And then he talked about how he came to Christ, his conversion to Christ. And then he talked about his life after he came to Christ. The changes that were made in his life. That is exactly what he does here as he gets before Agrippa. He follows the same pattern. First of all, we notice his life before the gospel. Notice he says, verse 4, he says, My manner of life from my youth which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They know me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Remember, I've shared with you that the best way to understand it, the Pharisees were the conservatives of the day. They were very conservative, very strict 
uh, religious fundamentalists. The Sadducees were the liberals of the day. Uh, they were all Jews, but they were two different sects. And Paul was a member of the sect of the Pharisees. He was a very conservative Jew, followed strictly the Old Testament law. He said, that's who I was. He said, that they know who I am. They, they saw me, how I lived. I was a member of the sect of the Pharisees. I, that was the strictest sect of our religion. He says, and now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. What promise is he talking about? He's talking about the promise of the Messiah. He says, I am here. Remember, I share with you that you don't really understand the New Testament until you have a grasp of the Old Testament. And that is so true. Jesus is not just... God didn't just decide, hey, I, I, the world's in a mess. I think I'm going to send Jesus to be an example to the world. No, Jesus was prophesied from Genesis all through the Old Testament prophets. The coming Messiah was the hope of the Jewish people. The Jewish people today who do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they still have that hope. The true, I'm not talking about Jews by race, but Jews who, who believe in the Jewish religion of the Old Testament, they're still looking for the Messiah. And that is the hope of the Jewish people that one day the Messiah is going to come and He's going to bring the glory back to Israel. He's going to restore Israel back to God. That was the hope of the Jewish people then. It was Paul's hope in his day. And even those who have not yet accepted Christ as the Messiah, it's their hope today. So Paul says, he says, I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise... Our twelve tribes, earnestly serving God, night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Already you can see that Paul has a target. His message is King Agrippa. He said, King Agrippa, why should it be thought fantastic or, or, or impossible that God would raise the dead? Which is, you know, Jesus, he was preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Verse number 9, he said, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul was a zealot. Paul had a zeal. And when he persecuted the church, he was zealous. He wasn't content to simply... I mean, he was like a, a lawman in hot pursuit. And when he got to the county line, he didn't stop. He crossed the county line and kept going. And that was Paul. He said, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. If they left my jurisdiction, I didn't care. I went after them. I was zealous in my persecution. That was who he was before the gospel. But now he recounts his conversion in verse 12. He says, while thus occupied, as I journeyed by Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Boy, what a, a picture Paul paints of his conversion. He not only talks about the light and the miracle that occurred, but he talks about the message that Jesus gave him, the ministry that Jesus gave him to bring people from darkness into light. And, and think about Agrippa, who he is. And of course, uh, Festus is over there listening as well, this Roman noble. And then he begins to talk about how he enters into his ministry, his, his life after his conversion to Jesus. He says, Therefore, verse 19, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent. Remember we talked about that. He didn't just go around saying, you know, believe in Jesus. He says, listen, come to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Turn from the life that you're living. He says, I prayed that they would repent. I preached to them that they should repent. Turn to God and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. And here it is. What did they prophesy? Verse 23, that the Christ would suffer, that He would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And as he's getting his breath to make another statement, he's interrupted. Festus, the Roman nobleman, he's sat there and he's listened to this whole story. Remember what Paul said, I believe, over in Corinthians when he talked about, he says, when I came to you, I preached, I preached the cross, the preaching of the cross. And remember what he said, he said, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the Gentiles, to the Greeks. He says, to the Jews, it is a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it is foolishness. Now, who's Festus? He's a Gentile. He's a Roman nobleman. He's listening to all this. He can't stand it anymore. He blurts out. He said, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. Festus knows that Paul is a fellow Roman citizen. He is an educated man. You know, he's not from some backwater. Paul is educated, highly educated. And he listens to this intelligent, educated man talk about a vision he had and talk about being, you know, coming back to life from the dead. And it's blowing Festus's mind. And Festus says, hold on, Paul, you've gone crazy. You are out of your mind. You've been studying books too much. You have gone crazy. You see, it, Festus was a man of the world. And my friend, your faith to a person engrossed in this world who is all tied up in what this world offers is laughable. It is foolishness. Don't think it's because, you know, you're some hick that they laugh at you. They laughed at the Apostle Paul. A man who performed miracles. A man, a learned man, and he's, he's articulating. A man who had seen visions of Jesus himself. And as he shared that vision, Festus, Festus couldn't take it anymore. 
He says, Paul, you've gone crazy. You are out of your head. And notice what Paul said in verse 25. But he said, I am not mad. Most noble Festus. Festus was a nobleman. A noble Roman as best we can tell from, from ancient history. And I like the way Paul keeps his cool. He's, he's, I wouldn't say he's insulted Paul, but in a sense he has. He said, you going crazy, Paul. You're out of your head. Paul doesn't lose his temple. He says, I am not mad, most noble Festus. I am not mad, he says. But he says, I, but I speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, he knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Boy, you talk about a preacher pointing his finger. You know, you ever had a preacher walk down the aisle, grab you on the shoulder? I did when I was about, I must have been about 13. I never forget it, I've shared it before. But I had felt, you know, that God was calling me to do a work for him, but I was always hesitant and wasn't really sure. And I remember going to this church with my uncle, and it was a Pentecostal church. I don't remember where it was. But uh, I remember I was seated out kind of where these boys are here, and, and uh, you know, the preacher started going down the aisle, and he was praying for people. And he, I was just trying to be, uh, not stand out in the crowd, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to do anything that made me look like a sinner or that I was under conviction of any kind. And I remember the preacher came and, and he walked down there and he touched me on the shoulder and I said, Lord, help me. I don't know what's about to happen. But, but I, I remember, I do believe it was the Lord speaking and confirming. He says, Son, the Lord has chosen you to minister His Word. And that's all He said. And of course I said, well, I was just glad He didn't drag me down the aisle. Maybe I needed it, you know. But you talk about, it always makes you nervous, you know, when the preacher starts walking down the aisle. You know, is he going to come to me? You know, I hope he doesn't come to me. But here's Paul before King Agrippa. Remember, he said the Lord is calling to speak to the small and the great. The small and the great. And he's spoken to the small and, and those that have no standing in the world. Here he is speaking to the great in terms of the world. King Agrippa. And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Remember, Agrippa knew about the Old Testament. King Agrippa knew about the Jewish Scriptures. He says, I know that you believe... Now, I don't know where Paul got his information. Certainly Agrippa wasn't living out a life of faith. His, his actions were a long way from his belief. But Paul knew that he had a certain respect for the Scriptures, evidently. And Paul called him out and he pointed at Agrippa. He says, Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. You know, Agrippa's kind of trying to get out of the spotlight. You know, he's like a deer in the headlights. And, and Agrippa's saying, it kind of deflects him. And again, some folks think, you know, the old King James says, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. And some have said, well, well maybe Agrippa was under conviction. And he's saying, well, I'm, I'm almost there. I, that's possible. But the context of everything that is said and the reaction of Festus, it certainly seems that, that Agrippa is trying to parry Paul's... Paul's Message. He's trying to, trying to deflect it. And he's, he's like, are you trying to convince me? The king? You're trying to convert me to become a Christian? And notice how Paul answers. You can see the heart of the Apostle Paul. That, heart, that, that Paul has a heart for people, even this wicked Agrippa. 
Involved in this incestuous relationship with his own sister. A vile man, an immoral man, a wicked man. And Paul says to him, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Paul says, you're absolutely right, O king. I am trying to convert you. And I would to God that not just you, O king, but everybody in this room that's under the sound of my voice would not simply almost become as I am, but would altogether become just exactly as I am, except for these chains that bind me. He said, Oh, Agrippa, I wish you had the knowledge of the light of the gospel of God that I have in my heart. I wish you had the assurance of righteousness that the preaching of the cross gives, that I no longer stand in my old righteousness, that of a Jewish Pharisee trying to keep the law. I no longer stand in that righteousness, Agrippa, but I stand in the righteousness of the Son of God who gave Himself for me, who lived a sinless life and imparted that righteousness to me. Yes, Agrippa, I do wish you were like me. And Agrippa, I wish you were like me and all that were here were like me. I wish you had the peace of God that is in my heart. The peace that passes understanding. A peace that goes beyond my circumstances. A peace that is given not by man and cannot be taken by man. A peace that is not a result of my circumstances and cannot be taken away by my circumstances. But a peace that is the gift of God. Yes, Agrippa, I do wish... I could convince you to become a Christian. I could persuade you to become a Christian. Well, verse 30, And when he said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor, and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Some might say, well, ooh, he messed up, didn't he? He shouldn't have appealed to Caesar. And they would have let him go. But no, my friend, that was God's plan. That was God's plan. And actually, remember, if you read the story, had he not appealed to Caesar, most likely he would have never appealed. He would never have appeared before Agrippa. Because the main reason that, that uh, Festus brought Agrippa in to hear him, he wanted help in giving a letter to Caesar. He wanted help from a person who was familiar with Judaism and, 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 and the intricacies of the Jewish religion to hear what Paul had to say. Had Paul said, okay, I will not appeal to Caesar, where would Paul be? He'd be on his way to Jerusalem. Probably ambushed and killed along the way. So God had a plan and God had a purpose. And you know what was going to happen? And we'll pick up here next week, God willing. We'll pick up where Paul begins his fateful journey to Rome. A place that God has told him he is going to go. And you know, you all remember what happens. He goes through a shipwreck. And he's shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And God does a miraculous work there. But as we get ready to close this morning, our musician, musicians come to give us a hymn of invitation. I just simply give to you the thought that Paul, before Agrippa, a man who needed the gospel, a man who certainly needed the forgiveness that God offers, but yet he parried that. And I think about the sadness of Festus, the governor who when he heard the miraculous story of Paul's conversion and the resurrection of the dead, he thought it was laughable. He laughed it off. He said, he said this is a madman speaking. This stuff is impossible. 
You know, when Paul over in Corinthians said that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the Greeks or to the Gentiles, and it's a stumbling block to the Jews, that is the self-righteous. But he also said something else about the preaching of the cross. He said, it is the power of God unto those who believe. As I've shared the message that Paul shared, as you sit there this morning, some of you inwardly may scoff and say, I, I just don't believe that. And some inwardly may be, you know, may, may have a stumbling block that God could save anybody anywhere. He could bring a, a sinner and make them a saint. Say, well, I don't believe that. But actually, if God could say, you believe. You believe. If you believe, then I will come to faith in Christ. Then, my friend, those who receive that truly experience the blessing of God. As we have an invitation, you're here this morning. The Lord is speaking to you. You come as we stand and sing.